the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome, folks, once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, we'd love to have you join us every weekend on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Uh, as usual, Alan Dempsey does the magnificent engineering job. We'd never get on the air without him. And Andrew Herdaliska is our producer. Uh, Carl Gallops is the senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church up in the northwest part of uh, Florida. Uh, His new book is out, When the Lion Roars. Carl, welcome. Nice to chat with you. Pat, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. I'm honored. What does that title mean? Yeah, When the Lion Roars. Yeah, thanks. Well, it comes from uh, the Bible, actually, from Amos. I know that uh, your Bible scholars that are listening to this program know that the the, the motif of the lion, the, the metaphor, is used to speak of the lion of the tribe of Judah, of Jesus. It's also used to speak of Satan. He want, goes around like a, a roaring lion seek, seeking whom he can devour. But it also speaks of the Word of God, particularly the Word, the prophetic Word of God. So that title comes right out of Amos chapter 3, verses 6, 7, and 8. I don't have my Bible in front of me, but I can paraphrase it very closely when it says, When the Sovereign Lord prepares to do a thing, does he not first tell his people? Does he not first tell his prophets? And then it says, when the lion roars, who can help but tremble? When the word of when the Lord speaks, when the sovereign Lord speaks, who can help but prophesy? So the premise of the book, this is a book about uh, prophecy fulfillment like no other book in the world. And I mean, I've had many people, scholars, who have read it, and they've said, no, you're right, there's nothing on the market like this. Because what it does is it takes, uh, uh, my premise is, the lion is roaring. We're living in the most prophetically profound times since the first coming of Jesus Christ. And I prove it from the book, from the Bible, from the headlines, from scientific sites, technology sites, mainstream media sites, military sites, history sites, matching precisely with modern-day prophecy, and only in our generation, Pat. That's the key thing. There's a convergence of prophecies that are occurring, have occurred totally, and or are in the process of occurring right now, and only in our historical generation. That's profound, and and so that's how it's written. It it's it's not written with any timing of the rapture. There's no date setting. There's nothing, you know, hand wringing. The sky is falling. It's just a good, balanced, contextual, historical look at where we are 
And you probably know I spent 10 years in Florida law enforcement prior to my 30 years in ministry and mm. and all the research and book writing I've done since then. Um, and so I come at this from an investigator uh, standpoint, an investigative mind. And so that's what that's what the title means, When the Lion Roars. The lion of prophecy is roaring, and I'm just trying to wake the church up, Pat. Carl, your first part, understanding the prophetic nature of our times, uh, fill us in on that section, please. Yeah, well, what, what I do there is just to help folks understand, first of all, as I just said a moment ago, that we are living in the most prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and what I mean by that is, look, I know there are a lot of people always running out there, running around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But let me, let me just give you an example. Right in the headline news just a couple of weeks ago, out of Great Britain, one of their main, uh, one of their main uh, stream press, I think it was Express UK or the Daily Mail, there was an article called Apocalypse Island. And the article talked about the billionaires around the world, particularly tech billionaires, technology billionaires, and, uh, and <clears throat> Silicon Valley uh, billionaires, who are now buying up properties. Literally, this is what the article says. Your, your audience can go check it out. It's called Apocalypse Island. Mm-hmm. Um, they're buying up properties in New Zealand primarily because they think it's a remote island that's not susceptible to uh, nuclear attacks. But they're, they're building, they're investing their money in underground bunkers, in the caves, in the rocks, in holes in the ground. It literally says that. And then it goes on to say, what are they afraid of? What do they know that we don't know? And the article literally says, I don't have it in front of me, but I've spoken to this so much and I've written about it so much, I can speak accurately here. It literally says they are afraid of things like... And then it says gigantic, huge earthquakes, a meteor strike, um, uh, uh, plagues and pestilence, a world war, and then it literally says, or the second coming. They're afraid of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It says it in the article. This is a total, thoroughly secular article. That's the only biblical reference in there. Uh, but, But they literally say, that they're going to hide in the caves and in holes in the ground because they're 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 seeking to run from the wrath of God that is coming. Now now Pat, people that know their Bible know that Revelation six says almost those exact words. It says in the last days that that the rich will run to the mountains and to the caves and they will say we're hiding from the wrath of God. And and it's unbelievable. And then it goes on to 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 uh, opine about the. Uh, the fear that people have. Listen, it's a worldwide phenomenon right now, Pat. Mm. I mean, I'm not over-sensationalizing this. I document this in my book all over the world. World leaders are talking about the possibility, the potential for a nuclear World War III. I mean, North Korea just shot off missiles just the other day, and the, and the talk started again. For the first time in history, we have Russia in the Middle East, in Syria with troops, in Syria, a nation that is in an irreconcilable civil war. China, for the first time in history, has built a military base in East, Eastern Africa, supplying troops by the thousands to Russia in Syria. 
Turkey is imploding into an Islamic caliphate. Uh, Iran and Russia are in accord. For Bible students, many of them will know and understand that that more than likely is the alliance of Magog and Persia, spoken of in Ezekiel 38, after Israel comes back to the land. Well, we're the first generation to see Israel come back to the land. So that that's what that section is about. It's just understanding the times we're living in. I mean, people, there's so many pulpits and so many Christians sitting in churches that don't even have a clue as to as to how close we are, and I'm not setting dates, it could be a hundred years, but that's close considering the last 6,000 years of human history, but how close we are to the coming of the Lord, perhaps in our lifetime, Pat. George, Carl Gallops is our guest, senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. His book is out, When the Lion Roars. I want to move to part two, Carl. Mm-hmm. The Problems of Biblical Prophecy. What are you writing here? Yeah, well, what I do there is to help people understand the perspective of, of, of how to approach prophecy. For example, a lot of times people will say, yeah, but, you know, every generation has thought that we were in the last days. And, you know, all the way back to Bible times. So I deal with that very honestly, and that's how I am, Pat. I just That's why I've been the pastor in one church for 30 years. My folks know I'm straight up and down, right down the middle, balanced, doctrinally sound, and, and honest. And so I take an honest look at all of that. And the conclusion, and I'll just do a quick conclusion here, is that, look, yes, in the New Testament times, you can read the New Testament and see that, that even the early church felt like, hoped that, prayed for, that they might be the generation to see the coming of the Lord. After all, they had seen his first coming. They had seen the crucifixion. They had seen the resurrection. They had witnessed the ascension. They had witnessed the birth of the church. They had witnessed the miracles. Um, so they, were, they knew they were living in extremely prophetic times, and so they were looking for the coming of the Lord, sure. But they also knew that things had to happen according to the Scriptures, like the return of Israel. You say, yeah, but gosh, they lived in the Roman Empire. Yeah, but they hoped Israel would return, but it didn't. That wouldn't happen until 2,000 years later, because the Bible clearly says in many places, Old Testament and even even in the New Testament, that in the last days, Israel would return to the land. And not only would it return to the land, but when it did, a certain alignment of nations would form a coalition to come against them. Now, that alignment of nations that's listed in two or three places in the Old Testament Every one of those nations are now Muslim nations, with the exception of perhaps Russia, if Russia is Magog, except that Russia, a lot of people don't know this, it is, its roots go deep into Islam, deep. It's, it's the second largest religion in Russia, and it's an official state religion of Russia. Many people don't know that. Um, and, and so they are deeply ingrained in Islam. Carl, we'll be back. I want you to pick that thread up. Uh, right after these messages, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. We're in Orlando, Florida, folks. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? 
Are you barely getting by making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people. They're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-518-4020. 800-518-4020. That's 800-518-4020. Are you in pain after a recent fall or car accident? Hi, this is Dr. Esther Pichardo. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine. After a car accident, your work, the insurance, the loss of your car, everything is a concern and your life changes in a matter of seconds. Material things can be replaced, but your health cannot be. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Even if the pain is not severe in the first few days after an accident, studies show that physical injuries can get worse with time. If you had an accident and you're still in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to Advanced Physical Medicine with offices in Orlando, Hunters Creek, and Poinciana. Advanced Physical Medicine. If you are in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Pastor Carl Gallops is our guest. We're talking about his book, When the Lion Roars. Carl, pick up what you were talking about, please, uh, just before the break. Yeah, thank you. Well, and and so I'm just dealing with problems, quote, problems of prophecy, and that's one of the sections in my book, just helping people to get a grip on 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 the the real answers to that, you know, haven't hasn't everybody, you know, every generation thought that uh, we were living in the last days. And by the way, again, to your listeners, maybe just tuning in, I I I, I do not use this book to scream in your face. We're living in the last days. The sky is falling. I I don't do that. I don't set dates. I don't do that in my ministry. But what I do is take a good investigative look at what the scriptures say would be the profoundly significant. Uh, uh, um, elements of the prophetic times of the last days before the return of the Lord, and I prove from my book that uh, from from reliable mainstream sources, uh, no back channel conspiracy sites, all reliable mainstream. I mean, New York Times, National Geographic, uh, technology websites. I prove that we are the first generation to see a convergence of a couple of dozen biblical prophecies of the last days. And they're happening right now. They've either already happened or they are happening right before our eyes. And so I just deal with those problems of, you know, but how, you know, because one of the problems of prof, uh, interpreting prophecy, Pat, is this. Prophecy starts, if, if you, I'm using my hands right now to make a big V with the, with the, the bottom of, or big triangle, if you will. And the bottom of the triangle is wide, and then it narrows to the point at the top. You got that picture? Yes. So, Okay. That's how prophecy is. It starts down at the bottom of the big V, 
And so, for example, way back in Genesis 3, God himself in the garden makes a prophecy about the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Well, we know later as we go through that they, that, that was a prophecy of the coming of Jesus who would crush Satan's head on Calvary's cross and with the empty tomb. But it would be a couple, it would be 1,500, 1,700 years before that would happen. It would be several thousand years from the time God gave that, but by the time the book was written, before that would happen. So in the meantime, you start way down at that base, but as it gets closer and closer and closer, the book of Malachi closes out, you go through 400 years of the Greek Empire, then you come into the Roman Empire, and boom, a baby is born, angels appear to shepherds, shepherds go and see the baby, Uh, wise men come, and you say, okay, well, it's happened. No, it hasn't. It would be 30 more years before he even began his ministry. Mm. Then you would say, oh, well, then it happened. No, it would be three more years before he would go to the cross. And you say, well, then it happened. No, it would be three more long days before he rose from the grave. <laughs> and, and by the way, at the cross, we have no record of the shepherds being there or the wise men. Mm-hmm. More than likely, they were all dead. More than likely, they were in their 40s, 50s, 60s when that happened 30 years earlier. So... So, you know, even they who saw the Christ child, you know, they might say, you know, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Not in their lifetime, Mm. even though they looked him in the face. So that's what people, I try to help people understand. Look, we're only here for 60, 70, 80 years. If we're blessed, maybe 90, that's just a speck. That's just a breath. That's just a whisper. And just because everything doesn't come to a complete culmination, in our lifetime, we'd be foolish to say, oh, well, the Lord's not doing anything. It'd be like the shepherds looking the, the, the Christ child in the face and saying, oh, well, God, God's not doing anything here because it's not going to happen in my lifetime. So, so that's, that's some of the problems of prophecy interpretation. See, our culture is so microwave, you know, cell phones and microwave. Everything's instant, Internet, instant. We want the quickest speed we can get. And so... When prophecy is unfolding all around us, sometimes we miss it, Pat, because, because you know, it doesn't culminate in our lifetime. So what difference does it make? Well, but the point of my book is it is culminating. It is happening. We're looking at the Christ child in the face, if you will. The angels are singing, how, how dare us sit around and act like nothing's happening. It is the most profoundly prophetic time since the first coming of Jesus Christ, Pat. When the lion roars, that's the name of the book. Uh, the author is with me. His name is Carl Gallops. So, Carl, we uh, open by talking about understanding the prophetic nature of our times. Then you talk to us about the problems of biblical prophecy. Now we've arrived at part three, the profound prophetic markers of our times. And I want you to teach us about that. Okay, thanks. Um, well, here's the deal, Pat. I know we've only got minutes, and there are probably 18 or 20 chapters. By the way, the chapters are all only six or seven pages. It's like eating a bag of potato chip. Every, every, everyone who's read this book loves it because I wrote it very graspable, very easy to mm. read. It uh, moves very quickly, right? pops right off of today's headlines. But here's the thing. Let me just run down a bunch of stuff. Now, mm-hmm. now, 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 folks, hang on. I'm probably going to pin your hair back. I'm just coming off the top of my head. All right, so here we go. Um, the prophetic markers of our time, let's just start with the return of Israel. I know some people are listening saying, well, that's ancient history. Oh, no, it's been less than 70 years. There are people in their 60s and 70s walking around that were here when Israel was born. There are people in their 80s and 90s that were young adults 
when mm-hmm. Israel was reborn. This is not ancient history. It hasn't even been an entire generation. Israel was reborn, but that's a 2,600-year prophecy. Now, think about it, Pat. When Israel was reborn, television was not ubiquitous. <laughs> it, I mean, and, it was, and what we did have was black and white, grainy, with an antenna, two or three stations, major channels. That was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and very few people still, you know, had them in their homes then. I mean, a lot of people didn't have them in their homes. It was considered a luxury. If you did, you had one little teeny black and white grainy television set. <laughs> and that, brother, that's when Israel was born. And that was just less than a generation ago. And look where we are now. I mean, I can't even name the technology now with Internet and instantaneous communication, cell phones and videos and movies and theaters and TV and 200 stations of satellite television and cable television and on and on and on it goes. All of that has burst onto the scene just since the return of Israel. So Israel returns. Then, brother, there is an unprecedented demonic outpouring going on right now. Just look at the headlines. Just, you know, child abduction, child pornography, pedophilia rates through the roof, epidemics. And I, I, I'm saying this quickly, but it's all documented in my book. Um, STDs, epidemic. You know, one-third of the American population now has an STD. Mm. One-third. One-third. That comes from the Center for Disease Control. Um, a rapid, just t- two weeks ago, Slate.com, one of the most liberal uh, publications in the world, published a headline article saying there is now an AIDS epidemic in the United States among and it's and it's among gay men it's because of the gay population slate.com said that an AIDS epidemic you just go right on down the demonic outpouring witches praying against Donald Trump all over the world using the internet to cast spells and to 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 publish potions and and elixirs and prayers and incantations Brother, we've never seen anything like this in our life, and it's because of the ubiquitous communications, information, and transportation technology of the last days. We're the first generation to see it, and most of it has exploded onto the scene in the last decade, and most of our folks don't even know it. We're like the fish. We're like the frog being boiled slowly in the pot. We're just in the middle of it. We use our microwaves and our cell phones and our Internet. We think it's always been around. And all of this is being used by the demonic realm. Now, as I said a moment ago, we've got the Middle East that has imploded. Christianity is being exterminated in the Middle East. That's the headlines of the New York Times, not me. Uh, Russia, first time in history with its troops doing war in the Middle East, combined with Chinese troops doing war, combined with Iran in Syria. Again, Turkey imploding into Islamic caliphate. Oh, my gosh. Um, all the nations of Ezekiel 38 aligning themselves. Get this, the United Nations has Agenda 2030. Again, this is not a back-channel conspiracy site. This is on the U.N. site. You can read my book and read the U.N. agenda or portions of it. I don't print the whole thing. It's like 600 pages long. But there's a, a four or five paragraphs where the U.N. agenda 2030 says by the year 2030, their plan is to have every man, woman, boy, and girl, all seven to eight billion of us, identified and marked and put in a database for the purpose of peace and security. That's the, that's the global agenda of the United Nations. Now, whether or not they pull it off, 
or whether or not it happens, it may happen before 2030, it may happen way after 2030, it might even not be the United Nations that pulls it off. The Bible says that's going to happen in the last days, that every person on the earth will be marked for the purpose of, quote, peace and security. The point is, I raised the point in my book, not claiming that, you know, oh my gosh, the sky's falling, the UN's going to mark us all, but I'm saying we're the first generation in history to have the technology to do it, and the worldwide global governments who are planning to do it and have already employed the technology companies to do it. I list the technology companies. I, I give websites so you can go look on those sites. They brag about the fact that they're involved in this plan. So, I mean, I could go on and on. The globally pervasive spying and tracking and biometric technologies, transhumanism, animal hybrid, animal-human hybrids, eternal life technology, um, you know, the largest Christian nation in the world with its Supreme Court passing a gay marriage law. What? We don't know what marriage is. We don't know what gender is. We don't know what sexuality is anymore. Jesus said the last days would be just like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's Luke 17. He said just like that. He said it'll be just like that. We've got the rise of ISIS. Uh, I mean, on and on. The borders crisis, national superpower borders that are under collapse. Um, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely astounding. Now, on the good side, the flip side, uh, Pat, you've got Orthodox Jews coming to Christ in 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 mm. record numbers around the world, and mm. even in Israel, you've got Muslims. A lot of people don't know this. Even Al Jazeera had to report this. This is all documented in my book. Six million Muslims a year come to Jesus Christ as Savior in Africa alone. Mm. Six million a year in Africa alone. And that doesn't count the ones from Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim nation in the world, and all over the Middle East and in other areas of the world. I mean, there is an outpouring of the Spirit of God right now among people. China is slated to be the largest Christian nation by the year 2030. China, they have some of the most intense government persecution of, of any nation on the earth, except for perhaps the Muslim nations and North Korea. China drives their Christians into underground churches, yet it's getting ready to be the largest Christian nation on the planet. I mean, so we're living in some of the most tumultuous, difficult times, just as Jesus said, but at the same time, we're living right in, under the midst of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, just like Jesus said. The two things are happening at once, and we're the first generation to see it happen, Pat. Carl, part four, you end your book with equipping the saints for such a time as this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. what, what are you writing here? Yeah, very, very simply, I'll, I'll boil it down to this. I encourage God's people, number one, make sure you know what's happening. That's what this whole book is about. Mm-hmm. Number two, make sure you keep your head up and that you understand the times in which we're living. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. You can tell the signs of the weather, but you don't know the signs of the times in which you're living. He condemned them for it. And then I go on to say, now, once you have that, get on with your life. Pay the bills. Mow the grass plan for the future, send the kids to college, don't run off in the woods and hide under a log, don't put on a white sheet and sit on a mountaintop and hide from the world. Uh, (laughs) The Bible says we're supposed to engage, we're supposed to be the salt, we're supposed to be the light. The church is supposed to be the change agent. We've got to spread the gospel. We've got to keep doing missions and hunger relief and ministry around the world. Uh, never grow weary of doing good, the Bible says. And then I tell Christians in this book, look, we've been raised up for such a time as this. This is our day. The, the, the shepherds and the wise men, that was their day. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is our day. Now, now we're the prophets. Now we're, we're the church. We're, this is our day. So I tell Christians, enjoy life. We're just here for a little while. Nobody's setting dates and times, or at least I'm not. 
but just get out there and realize we are living in the most profoundly prophetic time since Jesus Christ. How foolish would the shepherds have been to look into the eyes of that Christ child and say, well, he's just a baby. It's going to be a long time, so we're not worried about it. <laughs> Fascinating. By the way, Carl, what's been the reaction to your book? Uh, it's it's been quite amazing, brother. It um, it's it's sold out two or three four cycles of of, of times. Uh, it was on back order for weeks at Amazon. It was uh, uh, oh, it was in the top point zero three five percent of all books on Amazon for for weeks. It was number one bestseller in five or six categories for months. Uh, still going crazy, and uh, churches are using it. Preachers are preaching from it, and churches are teaching from it, and uh, I'm just honored. I'm thrilled that the Lord would use it that way. Carl Gallops has been our guest, senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. Carl, a million thanks. So glad we could visit. Pat, million thanks to you. God bless you, my friend and my brother. Thank you so much for having me. When the Lion Roars, that's the name of the book. We're back for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you're a CPAP user, soap and water cleaning may leave harmful bacteria, viruses, and mold that can make you sick. That alone will keep you up at night. Until now, SoClean.com is the world's first and only automated, hands-free CPAP cleaner and sanitizer. SoClean kills 99.9% of all CPAP germs without soap, water, harsh chemicals, or even equipment disassembly. And now, you can try it risk-free for 30 days. Call 1-800-863-5858. SoClean changed the CPAP experience for the better. My health has improved. It's simple to use, and I'm not worried about infections. SoClean's revolutionary design makes it easy to clean your CPAP and protect you against CPAP related illnesses. Plus, SoClean works with all popular CPAP devices to clean them in minutes. It really is that easy. Don't risk your health. Call SoClean.com now to try it risk-free for 30 days. Call 1-800-863-5858. This offer won't last. Call now. 1-800-863-5858. 800-863-5858. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Join the Orlando Bible Church Saturday afternoon from 5 to 6 for What Sayeth the Scripture. Bring your Bible for an hour-long call-in program on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, the intersection of faith and reason. More than a 1,000 chapters and 30,000 verses, but you can do it. Read the entire Bible with Bible in a Year, totally interactive, totally free at BibleStudyTools.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Gallops, our guest in the first half hour, talking about his book, When the Lion Roars. Tommy Brown is with us from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's a pastor, financial development strategist, and his book is out. It's called... uh, Seven Money Types, Understanding Your Money Type, How God Wired You to Handle Money. 
and that leads to financial well-being. Good to talk to you, Tommy. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Really appreciate you having me on today. Tommy, why was it important for you to write this book? Well, over the years of my work in pastoral ministry, uh, I saw a lot of couples who uh, were struggling with finances, and so just took them through some practical financial management courses. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I realized is you can have uh, a good amount of savings, you can be out of debt, but if you don't understand why you do what you do related to money, the thoughts and the emotional aspects of it, you can still have a lot of internal financial tension. You can have a lot of conflict with others. So this book, uh, to me, was one of those that needed to be written because a lot of the stuff out there talks about how to handle money. This talks about why we do what we do. You open the book with the seven biblical money types. Uh, what are they? And then we'll move into these different biblical characters. Can you tell us about the seven biblical money types? What are they? Absolutely. So these were types that I was noticing uh, happening, kind of boots on the ground as I was working with people in our church. And the first one is hospitality. And this money type loves to use money to make other people feel special. Uh, The second one is discipline. And you could kind of say it's a maximizer tendency, wants to make the most out of every dollar. The third one is about beauty, which is more than just appearances, but they love to use money to create pleasurable experiences and purchase beautiful things, create beautiful environments. The fourth one is connection, and this type loves to use money to build relationships, uh, network, those types of things. Uh, the next one is endurance, which is really about order. Uh, the next one is humility. This one loves to take kind of an innocent, almost hands-off approach to money in some ways, but really they love to use money in order to meet very practical needs. And then the final one is leadership, uh, very much focused on leaving a legacy, very much focused on the future and the next generation. So these are the seven types that I was seeing happening uh, in the church work I was doing. Now let's get into these biblical personalities who uh, demonstrate this. Let's start with Abraham, uh, and that's hospitality. What, what are you writing here? So when you study the life of Abraham in the Scripture, you find that he uses resources in very hospitable ways. So uh, this, this type, as I said, believes money should be used to make others feel special. When you track the life of Abraham, think about the guests, uh, those visitors uh, that came to him, and he promised them a little bit of food and some water, and then he throws like this full-on, full-course meal for them. And uh, this is the type that under-promises and over-delivers and time and again. And Abraham really is known in the Scriptures even in the book of Hebrews, uh, is kind of that father of hospitality. You remember it says to us, uh, don't forget to take care of strangers because you may be entertaining angels unaware. Well, that's a reference to Abraham who kind of set the bar for hospitality, and, and he's kind of the model in that regard. Now we get to uh, the next one. That's Isaac, discipline. Absolutely. So Isaac's a little bit different. He gets one chapter in the entire Bible, um, and that Isaac type believes money should be maximized. And so Isaac is is kind of a mirror of Abraham whenever you track his story. And so Abraham dug these wells, uh, and the Philistines stopped them up. Well, Isaac came behind him uh, later on in his life, and he actually re-dug those wells. And so that Isaac type tendency is to make the most of everything, to recover and restore. And we see in the scripture that Isaac gave them the name, uh, those wells, the same name that his father Abraham had given them. So 
the consummate maximizer. They're very disciplined. They actually show restraint, and Isaac is known in the Jewish tradition for showing restraint whenever uh, he blessed Jacob, and, you know, it should have gone to Esau, and we know how all of that went down. And then Esau comes in in tears, and he had to show restraint. So very disciplined, especially uh, with money. This is what we see in these Isaac types. And then we move to uh, Jacob, and uh, we call that beauty, which which means what? So the Jacob type is really complex, and Jacob was a complex character. Uh, But this Jacob type is really the mix of the Abraham and the Isaac type. So depending on which end of the spectrum, that free-flowing hospitality of Abraham or that disciplined restraint of Isaac, uh, this one could go either way. But the fundamental belief is that money should be used to pursue pleasurable experiences, purchase beautiful things. Jacob had this flair for beauty. Uh, You think of the coat of many colors, using his resources to create that for his son, Jacob. Joseph. You uh, also see in his life this deep emotive tendencies, and we won't go into all of that, uh, but this is the type when you're around them, they make things pop. Whether they have a lot of money or little money, they're going to do everything they can to create beautiful experiences and environments that will blow your mind with what they can do with even a little bit of money. And now, <clears throat> now I want you to talk about Joseph, and we call this Connection. Yeah, when you trace the life of Joseph, uh, this man knows how to make connections everywhere he found himself, whether that was uh, working in uh, Potiphar's house or even being in prison, and he arises to kind of vice president, if you will, of Egypt. Uh, He knows how to make connections, and the reason he's trusted in these connections, in these relationships, is because of the stewardship that he has for the resources that other people own. And so whenever we track the life of Joseph, he knows how to connect the dots. And so Pharaoh's having dreams about, uh, about plenty and about famine. Joseph interprets that. He creates the systems to where he takes 20% off the top of all of the produce that is grown in the land. And, you know, it's a whole long saga. But this is the type that they know how to network, build relationships. They do a lot of lunches, a lot of dinners. They're probably on boards, and they come to life relationally whenever they're able to use money to foster these relationships. What is Moses and endurance about? You know, endurance is one of those words that we that we don't think a, a, a lot about sometimes, but it's it's really order, and so you cannot endure without order. And if anybody had a well-ordered life related to resources, it was Moses. I mean, think about it. He received the law from God. He implemented that with Aaron and others. But Moses was that one who received all of that. So everything had its place. You remember the manna that fell from the heavens. And on the fifth day, you're together, you know, one through five, you gather this amount. Day six, you gather twice as month. On day seven, you don't gather any. And so he just had these rules and regulations for everything. And the Moses type, I mean, you know them well. They're the person that if a dime fell out of their budget, they would catch it before it hit the ground because they are so on top of their game. They have spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets, and these are uh, the Moses, uh, that order, uh, the endurance type. Aaron and humility is next. Yeah, think about his life. So he owned literally no land at all. Everybody else 
uh, got an inheritance every other tribe. But the Lord said to Aaron, I'm actually going to be your inheritance. And so his life was one of, 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 I would say, humility, but in the sense not of getting run over, but he just had this trust uh, in God, this almost this power under control. So uh, when we look at Aaron's life, the resources that came into his life uh, were from other people, just really flowed through him. And uh, this is the type of person that they're not going to plan for the financial future, really. They're just kind of going to think, okay, it's going to work out. Uh, God's going to take care of it. might be something that they would say. But we also see in Aaron, and we see in Aaron types, that there's a strong desire to use money in order to uh, correct injustices. I see a lot of Aaron types are people who are adopting, and they care very much for orphan, widows, and poor. And we all should, but this type goes uh, to a whole other level with uh, the way they use money in that regard. And then you write about David and leadership. Uh, I'm eager to hear about this one. Uh, so David, of course, is the consummate leader and, and uh, uses resources to create new futures. Uh, one moment in David's life that I absolutely love, a leader is always driven by a strong sense of why, and that's what others can connect to and follow. So you think about David, uh, whenever he was carrying those sandwiches to his brothers on the battle line, he actually goes to the battle line, Goliath comes out, as was the custom, insulted God and everybody, and it says all the men of Israel ran. Well, guess who ran with them? It was David. So he's back in the back, and uh, he says, okay, what is done for the person who slays this Philistine? Well, and they're like, you get the king's daughter's hand in marriage, exempt from taxes, all these things. And at that point, David returned to fight Goliath. So it was his faith that was catalyzed by a strong why. He knew that the reputation of his family in Israel is on the line. He returns to fight, and the rest is history. So these guys and women are driven by a strong sense of why, very much about the future, and they want to leave a legacy. And just to say one more thing about David, he was the one who raised the funds and contributed a lot of his own resources to actually build the temple known as Solomon's Temple. This man was a financial leader in his day. Tommy Brown is our guest. His book is called Seven Money Types. Uh, While you're on that topic of David and leadership, Tommy, uh, if you were to give a talk on uh, David on leadership, uh, what would you list uh, were his greatest strengths as a leader? What a great question. Well, uh, as I mentioned, that strong sense of why. People can relate to a why because they can find meaning for themselves inside of it. So a lot of leaders just talk about, you know, what's going to happen. But when you talk about why, then other people can go, I can get behind that. I can find something that is meaningful to me inside of that. So that's one of the first things. He also was able to inspire action. Uh, And then David, there's one moment where he's out, uh, out at battle, and he has some men with him. And they defeat the other people. They bring back all of the spoils of war, all the loot. And there's some guys who have been watching the bags. And one guy pipes up. He's like, we're not giving anything to the guys who were watching in the bags. And David's like, no, everybody is going to get in and share on the victory. And so he has this principle of equitability and good leaders make sure that everybody shares in the victory. So the way to financial well-being, that's an important topic. Uh, What what do you tell us? What's the answer there? For me, financial well-being is uh, is it is about amounts. Okay, we have to we have to be careful of our debt, and we have to save for the future, and all of that's important. But there's a whole other layer up underneath all of that. That financial well-being for me is the ability to align your thoughts and your emotions and your deep desires that God puts inside of you with the way that you spend money. 
And so what I want to do in this book is help people understand, number one, that God has designed you in his image to relate to money in one of seven ways. You're going to, you're going to do all seven, but you're going to have one that you're, you're going to resonate with the most. I want to affirm that rather than all the shame that we carry about money where people are like, oh, I'm just bad with money and I'm such a failure. Those are, those are statements that we need to leave behind and we need to start growing. So in order to achieve that financial well-being, I have to unearth how God has designed me, number one. I need to affirm that. I need to understand what that means for me so that I'm not going to be continually tripped up by the same bad habits and that I can also enjoy money. So if I, if I naturally love to use money to show hospitality, well, let's, let's do more of that within boundaries, of course. If I'm a maximizer, don't feel guilty over that. Use that for God's glory and God's kingdom. And so the final thing is really just to be unleashed and uh, to be able to do what God has called you to do with money. And this really helps in relationships quite a lot as well. So if I can understand how my spouse uh, is wired financially, it's going to resolve a lot of that financial tension. But, but, and here's the big question, what if you don't like your money type or your spouse's money type? Oh, man. Well, I mean, there's no refund on your money type. You don't get to exchange it, first of all. So we start where we are, right? And so there's a shadow side for each one. If I don't like my money type, well, uh, then, then I have to do a little bit of deeper work and go, okay, how is it that God has designed me? And maybe the thing I'm not liking is actually the shadow side. So there's a shadow side for each one of these. For example, the Abraham type, the shadow side there is self-sufficiency. They do so much for other people. And when you look at Abraham's life, you'll see this, that when somebody tries to do something else for them, they resist it. Well, and that's a pretty burned-out existence if you're, if you're always living for other people, but you're never taking care of yourself. And I won't go through all of them, but, but Isaac is different. His shadow side is fear. And so they're always seeking to maximize everything because they're afraid that there may not be enough money in the future. So usually when people are like, ah, I don't like my money type, it's because they've been taught either by the church or by somebody in their life that it's wrong or it's bad to feel that way. And what I want to do is say, actually, there's a biblical character who thinks and feels that way as well, and God loves them and uses them. So with your spouse, I think that uh, usually uh, there's one person in the relationship that usually feels like their way with money is the right way with money. (laughs) And what I want to do is say, actually, there are seven ways and all of them are good. So we need to gain empathy for how the other person is wired, create space within boundaries for them to exercise that God-given desire with money, and really work as partners towards shared goals together. Tommy Brown, pastor, financial development strategist, uh, lives in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And we're talking about his book, Seven Money Types. We'll be back with Tommy for one more section here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Just a reminder, this is 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word, right here in Orlando, Florida. Back after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. 
You know, I'm not a genius about money. I love my credit cards, and they love me. I was using them as a source of income, and then I got behind in my payments, and creditors were calling. I heard about Trinity, so I called and talked to a counselor. Now I've got one easy monthly payment, a lower interest rate, and I'm getting out of debt. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. 1-800-990-6976. Buy local, shop local, locally grown or produced. Over the past few years, more and more people have become aware of and interested in not only where they spend their money, but from where their products come. This is Robin Trzinski of the Original Mattress Factory. And since our company was founded over 25 years ago, we have been providing our customers with exactly that, a locally manufactured product from a locally owned and operated company. The Original Mattress Factory was founded on the principle of producing quality mattresses in our own factory and selling them directly to the consumer, right here in Orlando. We take tremendous pride in being able to offer you a great value on quality, hand-built, and locally made mattresses at our everyday low, factory-direct prices. So for a true local mattress experience, come to our factory and see for yourself. You can also stop by an Original Mattress Factory store near you or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see how we make mattresses right, right here in Orlando. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Tommy Brown is our guest, Seven Money Types, the name of the book. Tommy, uh, as I understand it, you and your wife used to argue about money, specifically the amount of money she wanted to spend on gifts. So how did understanding you and your wife's money types improve your marriage? Oh, man. Well, I will not say that we never argue about money anymore, (laughs) but it's something, you know, it's an important topic. It's one of the few that we don't like to talk about a lot, and uh, as as people, especially in relationships. But uh, what I didn't realize for a long time is uh, that that we were not viewing the way that other people, uh, the other person, uh, related to money in a healthy way. So, for example, my wife uh, resonates with that Abraham hospitality type. She loves to give gifts. She loves to host, and she was spending more money than what I was comfortable with uh, on giving gifts. So anybody in my family, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, every anniversary, she wanted to do that. So if we got invited to a party, she wanted to bring like the $30 rack of ribs or something really elaborate like that, extravagant like that. And me being the Isaac type, that maximizer, well, I wanted to like get off as cheap as I could. So look, can we bring like the chips and the soda or like the $3 <laughs> vegetable tray that may or may not, you know, get you food poisoning. Um, and so, I, you know, me being uh, kind of the maximizer, I, I was the one who handled a lot of the finances and the budget and everything. And, you know, together we'd agreed like on a $25 a month uh, budget. So it didn't matter how many, you know, graduations or whatever we had, $25 a month. And that was just, that was really restrictive. It was really tight. And so what, what we realized over time was I needed to be able to create more space financially. So maybe it's 30 or 40 or whatever we could afford. Uh, and she needed to, to work within those agreed upon boundaries. So both types are good. When, when she was maybe spending more, it was creating tension for me. So I'm like, oh, what if we're not going to have enough? That Isaac type, that fear tendency coming in there. So we really just had to lay our cards on the table and say, uh, what is, what, when I'm doing certain things with money, how is that creating tension in your life? And, and that was a moment where we needed to learn, okay, you've got to create space for the other person. So that's, 
that's really a critical uh, moment for us is when we wanted to affirm how the other person was designed, but also be able to say, okay, now when you do this, this is what it does to me. So lots of dialogue there. Are there good and bad money types? There are not good uh, and bad money types uh, in, in terms of, you know, some of them are good, some of them are bad. They're all God-designed. And so uh, these are aspects of what it means to be made uh, in God's image according to the Jewish tradition. So uh, when we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, and David, line them all up and imagine them in your mind and then just kind of pick and rank which one God loved the most and then second, and then third, and you realize it's an absolutely absurd exercise. So the hospitality type is not better than the connection type or better than the beauty type. All of them are needed. You know, the Apostle Paul said we're one body with many parts. If we're going to see the fullness of what it means to be human, if we're really going to bring the love of God to bear in the earth by the way we use money and work toward, you know, bringing God's kingdom to bear and, and demonstrating God's love, we're going to need all of these working together. So there, none of them are better than the others. None of them are bad for sure. Each of them have a shadow side in which we can grow. Tommy, you write that God is showing us part of his character in each money type. Uh, what do you mean by that? So we see in the in, in the earliest narrative that we have, really in the book of Genesis, that God created us in his image, you know, after his likeness. And then the first assignment was be fruitful and multiply, which is another conversation altogether. But then it's steward creation and these resources. Take care of this place. You you guys are in charge of this stuff. And so the the stewardship that we have is inextricably linked to the way we're designed in God's image. So we're made, really, of, of two things when you look at, at, at that very first uh, creation in Adam. One is we're made from the dirt of the ground. We're made from creation, the resources of creation. And the other is we're made from the breath of God. And you have to have those two in relationship. If you have your relationship with God right and your relationship with money is not right, you're going to have problems. If you have your relationship to money right, but your relationship with God is not in check, you're not getting the fullness out of it, and you're not living fully as a steward. So we, what we believe is that these seven characters represent a certain aspect of what it means uh, to be made in God's image. This comes to us through the Jewish tradition. You won't find it in the scripture where it says, okay, the image of God is this and this and this. Uh, it comes to us handed down through the ages. And whenever I look at it in the scripture, it's like, well, of course Abraham represents hospitality. Of course Isaac represents discipline. David, of course the leader. So we see these things as, as being true. You take all of that away, and you look at the people that you know in your life, you're going to see these seven types at play. Now, this may be the most important question of all. Uh, How does understanding your individual money type lead to financial well-being, Tommy, which all of us want? We long for that, right? I, I certainly do. You know, it's uh, money is one of those areas that I really struggled with over the years, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, maybe some of that's due to upbringing or, you know, just some bad financial habits early on and those types of things. But, uh, the, you know, the, as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of books on the nuts and bolts kind of related to finances. Budget this much, save this much. This is how you invest. And those are good and needed. But really, this book is going to help you really in three ways related to financial well-being. And the first is, is after affirmation. It's going to help me embrace who I am and how God has designed me. So it'll knock off a lot of that shame related to finances. A lot of people will just say things like, I'm just bad with money. Well, then you're stuck. 
you know, you're not just bad with money and you can't grow. Don't use that as a cop-out and don't feel the guilt over it. Let's start growing from where you are and start using money in a way that relates uh, to how God has designed you, which is the second part, and that's about awareness. And this, is, this book is going to help you understand your natural tendencies so that you can leverage your strengths and guard against your shadow side. And then the third is appreciation. It's really going to help you in your relationship uh, with those who are wired differently. So affirmation, awareness, and appreciation. When you understand why you do what you do, you can change what you do to better align with how God has designed you. This isn't a book that's going to teach you the nuts of bolt uh, of, of saving money. Um so what is the biggest takeaway? What do you want readers to get from the book and our discussion? So I think um, Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love, mm-hmm. Love Languages, he, he really said it best. He said, this isn't a book about how to handle money. So there are plenty of books out there on that topic. This is about helping you understand who you are, how God has wired you, and how this impacts the way you think and feel and therefore act financially. So it's going to help you understand who you are so you can better handle money. And and I think that it has a unique ability kind of to get under your skin and into your heart in order to help you gain the confidence and clarity that you need to release the shame and the anxiety, that tension that you have about finances. It's not a book that's going to bore you about finances. This is not so much about amounts but about awareness. And when you understand how uh, God has designed you to relate to resources and you understand the same about others, those walls start to crumble, the tension begins to resolve, and you begin to see yourself and others for who they are and for how God has wired yourself and others around you. Tommy, how would you describe Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, to one who's never been there? Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> it has four seasons, first of all. So for a person like me who's uh, from near the beaches of Destin, Florida, I didn't know that fall existed. And the fall and the springtime, we're getting ready for spring. It seems to be coming a little bit early this year. Uh, it is just uh, its a beautiful uh, area. Uh, I can be in the mountains uh, within an hour. I can be at the beach within you know three hours. But Winston-Salem is one of those areas that was kind of built off of tobacco and textiles. So you had uh, Robert J. Reynolds and all of that related to everything they did, and Haynes and Sarah Lee and others, and, you know, the economy shifts and tobacco shifts and all that. And this is a city that really over the last decade has had to grapple with its self-concept and has reinvented itself as a city based on the arts and based on science as well. So it's flourishing. It's growing. Our downtown area has a, a really good uh, feel to it, and uh, it's just one of those, you know, it, Winston-Salem's kind of one of those cities that thinks it's a big city, but it really feels like a small city at the same time. It has uh, kind of the best of both worlds, and uh, my family just really loves it and enjoys it here. Did you deliberately leave out Krispy Kreme donuts? <laughs> oh, man. I, you know what? I love Krispy Kreme donuts so much. Maybe a little bit too much, uh, and my family enjoys it well. I don't know why I left that out. I mean, it really is one of the best things about Winston-Salem. <laughs> Tommy Brown has been our guest. Uh, we've got to wrap up, folks, <clears throat> right after this. On the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Uh, So stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. What's 
new at the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, Addison's Walk, Saturday afternoons at 4. Welcome to Addison's Walk. This is Michael Phillips. I am the headmaster of Smith Prep, and I am the host of Addison's Walk. We are right now in the process of introducing the subject of what is the church. few questions that are as important as this one. It's going to be a lively discussion. I'm excited about it. All new Saturday afternoons at 4, Addison's Walk, only on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Addison's Walk is a ministry of the Smith Prep Education Foundation. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Carl Gallups was our guest in that first half hour talking about his book, When the Lion Roars. And then Tommy Brown joined us from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We talked about seven money types. Please visit my website. It's uh, patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my uh, latest book is out. It's called The Success Intersection. It's about when your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion. Well, you'll be living right in your sweet spot when that happens, and that's where you want to live the rest of your life. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks. Uh, the book is uh, in bookstores now, and Amazon.com, always a wonderful way to order books. Well, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time, where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.